This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster, and this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. Today we are going to review Star Trek Picard episode 204 called Watcher. But we're going to start with the news as we always do. And we've got a little bit of news that wraps up uh, the last season of Star Trek Discovery, which is an interview that you did, Tony, with Michelle Paradise, the showrunner. It was kind of a one of those postmortem, so it was to talk mostly about the finale. One thing is, we talked last week about was it possibly a series finale, and she said no. The re- you know they pretty much thought that they had been picked up, but the reason it felt like that is they wanted to wrap up the two season arc of the bu- rebuilding the Federation, which I guess does make sense, and that is kind of why it felt. Like it did more, feel like a series finale. It could have. I don't been think a they realized finale. how much it felt like one. Yeah, it really did. But but for her, it, from what she told you, it sounds like they just wanted to wrap that up so they can move into a new phase in season five. Um, what I really liked that she said was, and she said the phrase in terms of what happens in season five and beyond. And I'm like, yay, and beyond. I mean, it doesn't mean she knows anything, but. It's nice that they're, they don't seem to be thinking season five done. This is unfounded, but I have a sneaking suspicion they're going to do, they're going to shoot two seasons like they just did with Picard. Oh, that's so grueling though. I mean, it really is exhausting for everybody who's involved. Well, they are cutting down to 10 episodes, so I could see them doing a 20 episode with the hiatus break in the middle thing to just get it in the can as it were. But this is not, you know, they're not saying this. What they are saying is that they're already working on it and they're going to start shooting in the summer. So, right. But that her and beyond may be a piece of my theory that, that, that they're already thinking beyond because she's so careful about these things. Right. Oh, yes, she is. There was even <laughs> I, there was a point in the interview where she talked about getting, you know, her hand slapped and you were like, aren't you the one who does the slapping? <laughs> that was good yeah (laughs) she also looked back on the season a little bit and talked about uh burnham's journey in the captain's chair and sort of mirrored some stuff that alex kurtzman had said a while back about how they looked at the at the events in the episodes as sort of tests or reveals of things that about burnham as a captain so she said some were tests and some were journeys but that they were all meant to show how she's ready to be the captain, which is something you've been saying in all of our reviews, really. Yeah, and I felt like she passed her final test when she ordered the destruction of her boyfriend's ship. That's kind of the ultimate hard call that a captain might have to make someday. And when she had to brush it off and deal with what was still happening when she thought that he was gone. So, I mean, it's funny because Michelle Paradise talks about getting goosebumps, and yeah, it's her about those that scene and yeah it's her show but i feel the same way like that scene to me was beautiful so i get it now i did try to get her to uh, confirm my theory <laughs> that they were relying on carl sagan maybe arthur c clark f- for inspiration for the 10c and she just kind of skirted that issue she's like well that kind of stuff is out there in the zeitgeist uh, they just wanted Tensi to be super alien and really weird and different and not work with the universal translator. But she did say that that last shot where they kind of zoom out from earth was an homage to cosmos and the pale blue dot, which I thought was nice. Yeah. And also I, I admire their choice to find an alien with whom the universal translator doesn't work. You know, that made things very interesting. 
although let's be honest, like if you had to go through this rigmarole every episode, which you would have if you were running around the universe, it would be annoying. So it's nice they did it once. And uh, let's get back to show up at the planet, people with foreheads, and just start talking to them. Right. 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 I mean, look, it's a the Universal Translator is like the transporter, right? It's a shortcut storytelling device, and it works beautifully. But every once in a while, you got to change things up. And that was a great way to do it. And yeah, they shouldn't do it again. Agreed. You'd also ask her about Tilly, because of course, we're all, I mean, those of us who love Tilly are worried about less Tilly, no Tilly. Um, and she was very nonspecific, but said, we'll never be done with Tilly. And she's not going anywhere and she'll always be a part of things, which was non, as I said, nonspecific. <laughs> the everybody loves Tilly. Like, I think she's saying everybody, she could be talking about the fans, but I think she's talking about the writer's room and the producers and just, you know, the set, you know, that I think they, I think they know something that, you know, you and I have been saying, which is it's a great character and, you know, the show is missing this character. Yeah. You know, it's it's likely that this was more a Mary decision, not a Michelle Paradise decision to have her off the show for half a year. I would agree. Even if they're setting up the Academy show, you, know, you do all that stuff in episode 10, not in episode four. Right. Now, uh, Mary Wiseman appeared in one of the packages for the Ready Room, uh, which was all about the season finale. And she said she will be part of this universe and this world for many years to come. Yeah, and she said the only family she has is on that ship, so I was happy to hear that. There's no way that she's not in season five in some way, is right. my opinion. Agreed. She's probably in it as much as she wants to be in it, is my bet. Mary Wiseman wants to be in it. Right. Because even if they're doing the Academy show, there's no way they're going to be shooting that this year. It's kind of like when they announced the Section 31 show, um, which was always a show in the future, they still kept on using Giorgio until they kind of sent her off thinking they were setting up the show and then the pandemic happened and then they decided to do Strange New Worlds and now we're in this kind of long, where's the Section 31 show? But in their mind, Season 3 was going to happen and then there was going to be a Section 31 show. That was kind of the plan for a little while. So I think if there is an Academy show, it would arrive after Season 5 possibly even after season six. Hmm. Interesting. I'm, I'm going to, if I had to bet, I would say after season five, because I feel like they want to get that going or they just use her a whole lot more on discovery again, which I would love to see. Cause I, like you said, I really do miss her. I mean, she's been busy anyway. So Mary's been doing a play um, in New York called at the wedding at Lincoln center. It's uh, it, it's been playing for a little bit, but it officially opened March 21st. It's running through mid-April. The New York Times called it a critic's pick um, and singled out her performance. I mean, I saw it this past weekend and I loved the play. And she was, she's the lead. She carries it. She was amazing. I mean, it also has Carolyn McCormick, who people will remember as Min, Riker's holodeck fantasy woman. Well, actually, Min was the fake wife, right? But it yeah. was a minuet was her name in the holodeck, the French-speaking sexy, sultry minuet. Um, she was in the play as well. But Mary was incredible, like just an amazing performance. And I would say if you are in New York and have a chance to see this play, you should go. I wish 
I had the chance. And it's running through April, right? Yeah, like at least at least mid-April. Um, but she was so incredible and showed so many facets of her personality and her acting and things that you never saw with Tilly. Like she has an edge that Tilly doesn't have. So, I mean, the New York Times raved about her specifically, like called the, the play a brilliant showcase for her split-level comic genius. I mean, it's possible that... Mary just wants to go in a whole different direction in her life. And maybe she wants to focus on theater or do other work. So it's a big question mark as to the view. But if Tilly isn't going to be a big part of Discovery, they need to create a character that adds that something to the show. Right. And and what it was, and it's not about saying goofy things, but it's about an unpredictability. It's about someone who says the things nobody else will say. And somebody who's a little more, re- I mean, I, it's real, seems like the word I want to use. Yeah, relatable, human, that kind of thing. She was always yeah. that kind of character. And Adira isn't that kind of character by definition. I mean, I guess Adira could start coming out of their shadow, but their whole thing is they're afraid of everything, right? They, they're very smart, but they can't you know, talk to people. They could barely talk to Detmer. Right. So right. definitely not ready to be doing the kind of crazy, funny things that uh, we saw from Mary. And right. you know, I don't think Blue DeMario really has that kind of comedy capability, to be honest. I mean, Blue's great, but Mary's a unique performer. And but there are many others. But, you know, it's it, it's kind of I'm thinking like, you know, they love Tig Notaro so much that they basically work around her. <laughs> to like crazy extents, including having Stamets give dialogue that should be better for her in in certain episodes that are, you know, because they don't have an engineer around because she wanted to be in L.A. during the pandemic, which is reasonable. Sure. Um, and so I worry that, you know, if they get three episodes with Mary, you know, they feel like, well, we don't need that on the show. We'll just have it, you know, but we need something like that in every episode. So anyway, enough of my ranting. <laughs> well, I think that's it for Discovery, but let's talk about some other stuff, which is, I mean, we've been waiting on this news and we knew it was coming, but um, that Star Trek, the motion picture, the director's edition, this new, well, do you want to get into specifically what's so new and exciting about it? In 2001, they created the definitive director's edition with Robert Wise and it was on DVD and it was great in 2001, but, you know, it honestly doesn't look good on your fancy new TV. So this is a 4K UHD Dolby Atmos, the whole nine yards version. And they've got new special effects and, you know, they, they brought the original team back and they finally announced a release date, which is on First Contact Day. And that's going to be exclusively on Paramount Plus to stream, which... Paramount Plus actually does have 4K capability. And then we don't know how long the exclusive is, but there's going to be an actual home video release in the fall. Yeah, September, they said on Blu-ray. And then it's going to hit theaters if you want to see it in a movie theater, um, which I feel like I just watched the movie a couple of years ago in a movie theater, um, <laughs> but not this version. Uh, May 22nd. And 25th, those two days only. And tickets for that go on sale April 8th. And this is the kind of movie that should be seen on a big screen. Yeah. 
although you know, it'll be great to get it on Paramount Plus. But the bigger screen you can see this on, the better. The you know the the trailer looks great. Just just details on the Enterprise you never noticed before. Really looking forward to this. Um, we've got a little bit of news for our foreign listeners. Star Trek Prodigy is going to start showing up on Nickelodeon, just regular Nickelodeon channel on your cable or satellite packages. It's going to be in in April. We don't have exact dates yet, but mid-April in uh, the UK, France, Spain, Portugal, Singapore, Malaysia, the Philippines, South Africa, and Nigeria. Kind of a random assortment of Nickelodeons. Um, and, <laughs> and then more Nickelodeons around the world uh, throughout the rest of the year, but we don't have dates on that. And it's still supposed to show up in the USA on normal Nickelodeon sometime this year. This will just be the first 10 episodes. Right. And as soon as we have specific dates, we'll put them on the site. People may be wondering, isn't Paramount Plus supposed to come to the UK? The answer is supposedly. <laughs> <laughs> so we hear. Yeah. That's that's the word on the street. So uh, <laughs> that's all we know. Um, apparently it's coming in the summer uh, because there's still some things people, you know, Season four of Discovery, you could watch it on Pluto. Pluto now in the UK is doing this thing where they've created a Discovery channel where they're running season four episodes in like a loop. But it's still Pluto and, you you know, it's not on demand and you really want to see it on Paramount+. Plus. So hopefully they get their ball rolling and, you know, in a few months you could really see Discovery and everything else that's on Paramount+. Plus in Europe. And I think that's the news. So let's get into our review of Star Trek Picard. Episode four of season two called Watcher. Exciting. Because we've been obsessed with the Watcher. Right. Because you want to find out who the Watcher is and go talk to them. <laughs> uh, so why don't you kick us off with your high level thoughts? I thought the story moves along really nicely. I liked all the different pieces of everything that was going on. And the pacing was great. And I felt like Everything that they gave me a taste of, I was very excited to see what was going to happen next. So I have a few questions and nitpicks and this and that, but I think overall, I'm in, baby. It was a fun, full episode. We're now in the mid-season, right? So this is an overall arc, so we're not going to get all the answers. The question is, are they moving things along? I think they are. It mm -hmm. seems clear that, you know, we're in for the long haul in Los Angeles, but I'm okay with that. So yeah, I liked it. It was, it was a good collection of stories. Everybody's kind of got their own thing going on with the tenuous connection that they're all leading towards the same goal of fixing the timeline. Right. The action was good. There was a lot of Star Trek lore in this, some pretty deep cuts, some Tons Easter of so much stuff. My goodness. You know, it's pretty clear season two has changed the way they approach the franchise in general in calling to the lore in both fun ways and serious ways. Mm -hmm. I applaud the show for having something to say. They definitely have things to say this season. It is about something. They have messages and themes and... Some more hit, hitty over the heady than others. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but one could look back at some TOS episodes. My main thing is kind of like pick a lane, you know, pick pick one thing to hit us over the head with in the episode. Because that will be more effective to say this is the message of this episode. This is the one about this message. Not 
seven messages at the same time. But they're taking big swings, which... One really big swing. And we talked about Discovery last week about how they were afraid to take big swings. Now, are they? did they hit it out of the park? I'm not sure yet, to be honest. Yeah. Yep. With some of these jury's, swings. Jury's still out. But they took the swing and I applaud them for that. Yeah, me too. So, I mean, okay. So we're talking about Guinan. Right. So, so yeah. let's, let's just put it out there so people know what we're talking about. And I do think that when I first saw, I want, I'm so tempted to call her fake Guinan, which is not good. So, but when I first saw her and realized. Let's call her young Guinan. Oh, oh, that's good. Young Guinan. Not to be confused with little kid Guinan. Um, right. from rascals my favorite <laughs> um <laughs> so when they did that i just I, it was almost like i had a little battle within myself because first i went well no you can't eh. like the objection came up and then i went stop you know what go with it and so <laughs> i went with it as soon as he walked in the bar and it was empty i'm like something weird's going on they're gonna not have Whoopi in this episode and then she showed up the young actress showed up and th- what they did in episode one is Whoopi added a new feature to her race, the Elarians. Elarians. Elarians, that they can affect how they look. Right. Um, Like, well, they can affect how they look age-wise. Yes. Specifically. Like, they've got some internal dial, and she could go, oh, I'm going to look 75. I'm going to look 20. I know my question. I had so many questions because I was like, well, can you go back and forth? Right. Like I thought when Guinan in episode one said it, you know, you could dial it up and we're going to get more into Times Arrow. Perhaps Times Arrow's telling us you could also dial it down. You know, maybe. They right. Could... Times Arrow definitely throws a wrench into the works of this one. Oh, yeah. Big wrench with a snake head on the end of it. <laughs> so I have, I have zero issue with the recasting um, because... You know, otherwise, how do you explain Whoopi and the fact that she's, you know, clearly older and it just wouldn't look right? And do you do lots of de-aging? And obviously, which I don't want. The issue here is more to do with how 2024 young Guinan is. She's not very alien. She's not very alien at all. Well, she definitely is kind of gone native on Earth and become very cynical about modern culture. I guess what we're possibly supposed to take away from this, and this gets back to Time Zero again, is she's been hanging around Earth for a long time and it's gotten to her and it's broken her down and she's lost her whimsical, ethereal style. And I'm not, you know, because she even had that in Time Zero again. Yeah. That was in the early 19th century. This is, you know, 21st century. It's like 150 years later, people change. And those 150 years were pretty rough. Right. I mean, she says, she says, this century took off the hood, but put on a suit. She specifically talks about how things are easier for someone who looks like him as opposed to her. Sure. Meaning that yep. she's black and a woman. She's been beaten down. She talks about fake news. I mean, she, she, she's got lots of problems with society you know the environment and this is what i was getting to the um pick a lane thing um because the rio storyline has its own set you know uh set of issues it wants to talk to us about it's kind of like there's just so much going on i mean there's similar issues for sure yeah yeah 
They're branches of the same tree. How's that? What I like is Picard holds on to his optimism for the future. Obviously, he has a cheat code because he knows how it turns out. Right. He represents that optimistic Star Trek future here, which he really didn't in season one. He wasn't very good at that in season one. So this is the swing where I'm like, I hope they're going somewhere with this. I think what they're doing is they're setting up an arc for Guinan. I think she's going to be back because he kind of says, don't leave at the end. So yeah, he keeps begging her to stay just a few more days. You know, it's, it's interesting. It's making me think, I'm not sure where they're going with it. I think some fans are going to have problems with Guinan being so different, so edgy. So, you know, toting a shotgun, although we did see that Guinan has. Yeah, that, that fit in. And yeah. And also with the, you know, the character was originally, uh, taken from this bartender in Texas who was a real person. So I could picture that one with a gun. Right. <laughs> so the thing that I keep trying to figure out and can't wrap my head around is why does Guinan not recognize Picard since they did meet a couple hundred years earlier? Well, you know, in the whole Mark Twain story in Time Zero. I kept on wondering that too, because he never mentions it. She never mentions it. So it doesn't make sense. It wouldn't violate the temporal rules for him to mention that. So later, after watching it, it occurred to me that the way they're handling time travel, I think, is in the Back to the Future rules, which Terry Metalis, you know, because he's a time travel guy. I think what they're doing here is, this is going to sound counterintuitive, but... They have traveled back in time before the divergence, but they're still in an alternate timeline because the effects of Q changing time ripple backwards and forwards. And the reason they ripple backwards is that any future time travel no longer happened. So, right. Because everything was changed and is different, he didn't go back in time. He didn't serve right. on that same enterprise full of nice people. Right. This Picard remembers that because Q did some woo-woo magic so that he remembers. But General Picard never went back in time. Right. All the time travel thing, you know, Cisco going back in time, all of that, none of that happened because they're a whole different timeline, including Picard going back. So, so Picard remembers it. But he doesn't say it because what's the point? Right. Well, I was going to say he, because he's a little experienced with these things, somehow knew that. Right. Well, he's traveled through time a few times. Yeah. So, so, you know. In his first rodeo. <laughs> yeah. But that that shows kind of how profound this change is. That Q didn't create a fork in time. He changed all time. Right. From be the beginning to end. And until they do whatever they do. You know, this whole timeline's screwed, basically. Uh, and but there's there is, no hopping off to another one. Right. But the main takeaway is there is a consistent logic to all of this. I mean, I do have a tendency to trust these guys. They know what they're doing and they care very much about the details. So I'm glad that, um, that you brought that up because I was very confused by how they could just avoid mentioning that. But they did it. Yeah, I, I think... A lot of fans are going to come away, you know, with that same immediate reaction. It does take a little bit of thinking it through. So hopefully they maybe explain this later. Maybe they don't. I don't know, you know, but we have to give them the benefit of the doubt. 
Yeah, I mean, I would, you know, it's there's no one with him who would say, but haven't you guys met before? Um, but that would be helpful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. The one reason I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt is they have been setting things up in earlier episodes that are paying off in these episodes. That's the thing. I do also feel like even the small things, like I feel like they don't waste, if they mention something small, you should remember it because I feel like it's all going to come back. Like here's an example when they were talking about um, Picard's family hiding in the tunnels, which was just making me laugh because I feel like we have such a stereotypical view of French people hiding during the war. <laughs> but um, but they were hiding for good reason. I would have been hiding too. So hiding seems like the right way to go. But he talks about that, you know, where they used it as the Nazis used the chateau as a base of operations and the Picards hid in the tunnels below. And I was like, we're going to be in those tunnels. By the way, this finally sort of explained why he has a yes. British accent, which is... Yes, I was very excited. I wrote, mystery solved. The family <laughs> fled the Nazis because it's always the Nazis. Sure. Except this time it was the real Nazis, not space Nazis. Right. We still don't know what's going on with mom, but clearly some stuff went down in that house. Some bad things happened mm -hmm. in his childhood. And uh, so there's still more to that story. Right. Like he was a scared kid that had to be comforted. You're safe now. You're safe now. Yeah, this issue of fear keeps on coming up. Mm -hmm. if, if there's a theme for his arc, it's definitely to do with fear, for sure. Yeah, Q talks about fear, has already talked about fear and talked about fear again in yeah. this one. The other thing is, I mean, they didn't come out and say it, but we now kind of know who the Watcher is. So first of all, we all guessed that it was so obvious that Guinan was the Watcher that she wasn't the Watcher. And so right, exactly. that was made clear. She's not the Watcher, but she knows who the Watcher is. And the Watcher is in MacArthur Park, or at least that's where you could find her weird wide-eyed minions. I loved that. By the way, did you think that was cool? I thought that was great. Yeah, I, I it was because I remember seeing it in the trailers going, what's going on with these wooden people? Notice people with the white eyes walking around. Well, especially Park. the guy who turns around and is right behind him. <laughs> yeah. But I thought that was a great little story element. It looked cool. It was scary. I loved their faces afterwards where they just turn away and go off and do their thing because they're not possessed anymore. And, and it was just very smart. So what Guinan explained is that you're not looking for a watcher. You're looking for a supervisor. Right. And then it's Orla Brady, but it's not... Um, Laris. Even though he thinks it's Laris, but it's a it's Orla Brady playing a human that looks a lot like Laris. But then the, the transporter effect at the end was essentially the same transporter effect that Gary Seven used. So they're basically saying Orla Brady is playing a Gary Seven-like supervisor, right? Right. That's the answer to who the Watcher is. The Watcher is a supervisor, which is a deep cut, very deep cut into Star Trek, the assignment Earth. Into like the least Star Trek-y episode of Star Trek almost. Yeah, it's, I, I do not like, I mean, I like and don't like assignment. There was, it's like, it's an interesting episode, but the whole episode, Kirk and Spock are basically bumbling around while Gary Seven is being super cool because it was a backdoor pilot for a Gary Seven show. Right. No, that that is not one that I tend to rewatch, except for Terry Gar, who I love. But you know, maybe Orla Brady is a, somehow Terry Gar. I don't know. You know, maybe, maybe no, because Terry Gar was just a normal 
maybe Orla First Brady is Isis. Maybe Orla Brady is the cat. That is possible. I don't think she is Gary Seven. I think she's another Gary Seven. Right. And that's what Guinan said was there, you know, there are a bunch of them. That's cool. It's a it's an interesting deep cut. We did our list of suspects. Laris was we we basically guessed it was not Whoopi, probably Laris, but not Laris. But uh, we didn't have the fa- our, our readers. A lot of our readers were guessing it, Gary Seven, which it isn't, but it's definitely Gary Seven adjacent. Yeah, it's rooted in that that part of the that part of canon but i have to say i never would have thought that they would go there i'm surprised just because specifically that again because that episode was such a different because it was meant to be a pilot so it's very different so i'm surprised but sure but we still kind of don't know how this all works out like what exactly she's watching you know right i'm having a harder time with how orla brady is a supervisor besides the fact that like we just like orla brady so why don't we use her yeah i'm just happy to see her i'll admit it if we remember back to the supervisors were some unknown unnamed hyper technological planet scooped people off of earth thousands of years ago trained them for generations to then send them back as supervisors to monkey around to make sure that to to protect the destiny of certain people and events so how you know is she a descendant of ancient humans and then why does she look like a romulan i i if i put my mind to it i think eventually i'll figure something out maybe by next week unless they explain it to us by next we have to assume that they will again like even when things don't make sense i i don't feel like they just decided to skip it because not only does it look like Laris, but Laris is a pivotal character this season because mm-hmm. it's it's all about Picard's fear. Yeah, they're just not going to throw us a rando Laris looking character. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, there's there's a reason. We just don't know what it is. We haven't really talked about it. So let's talk about all the fun that was happening with Seven and Rios and Ruffy. Well, Rios wasn't having any fun. He was still flirting with Teresa, even though they were in a horrible kids in cages. I mean, yeah. I mean, I was definitely a little disappointed that he wasn't doing more. But then I think that was the point, right? Like, I, you know, he hasn't gotten to do anything that great since the show, since the season started. And I really like Rios as a character very much. So I'd like to see him do more. But then I realized, right, he's in a position where he can't do anything. And that's kind of the point. He said, I'm, I don't like feeling powerless. He did finally admit to the guard who he was. And, yeah, he tells them the whole story. Uh, the stuff with Seven and Rafi, they have an interesting dynamic. The car stuff was fun. Although, can we talk about how Seven knows how to drive? Because I don't know how Seven knows how to drive. Maybe while she was with the Rangers, you know, I mean, yes. They, they could drove have ex- around in cars? <laughs> You know, who knows? You know, the, the, that audiobook we listened to, the Rangers were getting up to all sorts of weird stuff and dealing with old crappy ships. And maybe they had to deal with some old crappy cars. Mm. This is one of the things where they didn't say, they didn't explain it because she was quite good at it. Right. Like we all know what it's like the for anyone who's driven, you know what it's like the first time you get in a car and you hit the gas and the brake. It's It's terrifying the amount of power that you suddenly have. The obvious easy way to to have some fun with this is she could have said something like about how Tom Paris taught her how to drive. Right. All those uh, holodeck hours with Tom Paris finally paid off. Yeah. 
Now that would have been a lovely nod to Voyager and would have actually made sense. This storyline did have an amazing Easter egg. It was on the bus. I loved that. That was really nicely done with yeah. Kirk Thatcher. So we're talking about the scene that basically echoed the scene in Star Trek Four, where there's a punk on the bus and they had the same guy who's had a long connection with Star Trek, Kirk Thatcher. Um, but this time, instead of turning up the music, he just turns it off. <laughs> Well, it's funny, like, they gave this, you know, simple character, fun little character, an arc now. Because when Seven, you know, said, turn down the music, he starts holding his neck, like, like, oh, I'm going to get, you know, something bad's going to happen if I don't turn off right. the music. And so he's learned his lesson. He's still angry. He's still a punk. But um, now, if you listen closely, because Kirk Thatcher actually composed the music for the I Hate You song in right. 1986. This was a new song. What was the song? It was called I Still Hate You. <laughs> <laughs> um, and one of the lyrics was like, 35 years later, nothing has changed. So they, I think this was kind of a message. You know, it was all part of this big message of this episode. I felt like in a way the message was also that things have changed because of how he responded to her. Society hasn't changed, but he has grown. Right. Because he, he apologized like I apologize as a Canadian. He apologized three times in one sentence. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you can tell the seven means business. She might not have pointy ears, but she definitely was going to do something if he didn't shut off that music. So, Right. So, I mean, in a way, this was a fun little adventure. Nothing much happened, but it was fun and had a lot of action. But Well, but that police officer saw them beaming out, which isn't great. The butterfly impact is ramping up more and more for sure yeah and i actually thought that it would have been, i mean maybe so possibility one given that these people are paying so much attention to everything is there'll be a reason that she needed to see that and that's going to come up again but i kept thinking it would have been just as mysterious if they'd run up and there was just nobody in the car that would have worked too dramatically and would have been cool and would have been mysterious without being so, you know, butterfly effect terrifying. But in Assignment Earth, they beamed two cops to the ship and beamed them back. Right. You know, so, and we've seen stuff like that on Star Trek before. So people, they've, they've gone back in time and shown people things that they should not have seen. Right. Well, they killed a hobo, you know, in the 30s, you know, with the phaser. Right. So you know, they've butterflied all over the 20th century <laughs> and uh, apparently everything's fine. So I'm not sure they need to fix this as, that much right? Um, necessarily. Good point. I want to talk about Agnes and the Borg Queen because I loved those scenes. I couldn't wait to get back to them. There was so much going on that I feel is just going to be, I mean, I know it's not some instinct of mine. We've seen some trailers. This is going to be a huge part of the season is this connection between the two and the queen is working Agnes. Agnes thinks she's in charge. She's not really in charge. It's getting very, very interesting with these two. I mean, Agnes is still kind of holding her own because she tricks the Borg queen into helping her. It's kind of funny. So the Borg queen's whole thing is Agnes, you're totally alone. You're always going to be alone, but, and, and you, you, you don't believe in yourself enough, but I can, help well and you're so much more than everybody thinks you are agnes kind of nails her to say you you're the one who feels alone because you don't have a billion voices in your head 
And the way she manipulates her is to say, if you help me, I'll talk to you. That's all she offered. It's like, I'll just hang out. And then after the queen helped her, she's like, later, she's, she wouldn't help her. So Agnes is still keeping the it queen, together. The queen told her she's cruel. She said, you're leaving me here powerless, but awake to feel everything. You just take what you need. So, but obviously Agnes is bothered by the whole, I mean, she got under her skin. There's no, she got under Agnes's skin. They're setting something up for more of these two, for sure. And both actresses are just doing a great job, I think. But we're, you know, we're still getting some good humor from Girardi. There was a lot, there was a lot of fun little bits, you know, uh, Rios calls the guard a Ferengi. I like when Rios went on his little vent about how he still doesn't understand what's up with Picard and his android body. Yeah. (laughs) I think that was probably someone in the writer's room venting. He said, no one can explain it to me. So (laughs) I thought that was really good. I loved Agnes saying milk, chocolate, hot, uh, like impersonating baby Jean-Luc. And he laughed, (laughs) which is rare for Jean-Luc, showing that he's generally kind of a lighter guy this season, which I think is, is kind of fun. Yeah, no, the lightness was good. It's been that way. All season long, there's just a good amount of humor in the show, which season one just like was so unfunny. Um, So it's (laughs) that's our quote for season one. Season one was just so unfunny. I want to talk about a storyline that was really just one scene at the end. It was kind of tacked on. It almost felt like an after credit scene, even though it was before the credits, which was the, Mm -hmm. the, the cue show up which is four for four for him. He said he was doing six episodes this season, but I feel like he might've miscounted. Like maybe he was counting the scenes that he did at the Chateau as one episode, even though that was, yeah, he's, I don't think he would know what was going into what episode necessarily. Maybe they are just giving him his pages. And so he doesn't realize, right. We don't know what he's getting. And right. Yeah. So it's quite possible episode the work he did for episodes one and two in his mind was one episode you know this was kind of out of the blue but it's more proof that the europa mission because the europa mission was on the side of the bus we talked about this last episode now they're really getting into it a bit because he had a europa mission patch the newspaper he was reading the headline was about the europa mission saying that the countdown was on yeah, it said, well, 2024 revived space exploration was the big headline. They were in Jackson Royker Plaza, which <laughs> which was a deep cut, but he was the man behind the Nomad mission. So based on signs and stuff around there, they were at some kind of NASA facility for the Europa mission. Where Q got a job? Yeah, it looks like somebody hired Q. Or he's pretending to have a job. You know, he's just, you know, wearing the jacket so that he could sit in this plaza, I guess. Like he used to wear the uniform on, you know, the Enterprise. It's not like he actually belonged there. He likes to fit in. He's always enjoyed fitting in. <laughs> Indeed. And the woman, she was wearing a Europa badge. So she works on the Europa project too. And it's possible she could be an astronaut. There was an astronaut in one of the trailers of brief glimpse so it's kind of hard to tell and she's reading a book called the pallid sun (laughs) right which was uh by tracy torme so that's another another deep cut to next next generation which is it's a dixon hill mystery he seems to be very focused on this woman but we don't really understand 
why. I didn't really understand anything he was saying. I thought it was the book she was reading. Oh, he's quoting from the book. That's what I thought, because it did sound like a book. Yeah, that makes sense. Which could be the connection to Picard, because Picard is obsessed with Dixon Hill. Not obsessed, but they did mention Dixon Hill earlier. Well, and the pallid sun feels like a bit of a data reference, obviously. Oh, so... Yeah, one of, one of our theories was the watcher was Data's head. <laughs> so you think <laughs> you think Data's head could somewhere still be involved in this? No. The most curious <laughs> thing is at the end he snaps his finger. So he's trying to do something to her or maybe he was just trying to leave. But nothing happened. This gets back to my overall theory that he's dying or losing his powers or something's happening. So Right. Yep. And this is why yeah, it's hard to, you know, time isn't linear with him or whatever, because this, we're now in the past that he changed. We saw him in the future, which would have been after he changed the past and he had his powers back. So we've now gone back in time, which means this is a previous cue, like hours previous. Do you know what I mean? Like when he was a chick. No. So, okay. So we're at the alternate timeline, Chateau Picard, the year 2401. He in Q, in Q shows Picard his alternate life, right? Mm-hmm. That alternate wouldn't exist if Q hadn't gone back in time to change things. So we've now gone back in time and we're now seeing that past Q who made that change. So the Q we're seeing now is slightly before the Q we saw in episode two. I know it's time travel. It's difficult. Yeah, but. <laughs> I know. No, and it's one of those things that I'm like, is it really? Because the Picard is the same Picard. Yes, and it, but and time hasn't changed yet. Yes, but Picard went back in time after that moment. Q went back in time before that moment. That's the difference. Right. This is where Janeway just stops the conversation and says, <laughs> I can't deal with it. But I do think that. You know, however this, you know, logic wraps up that there's something wrong with Q, obviously. He's unhinged. He's, But if he doesn't have his powers, it now starts making sense that Q needs to start getting assistance from other people. Right. Because we think that he's going to seek out the uh, Brent Spiner character. Right. Sung. Sung Adam Sung. 700th. Yeah. Right, who had the big statue in episode two. That'll be an interesting dynamic of a Q that's basically powerless running around L.A. trying to do stuff. Right, we've seen Q powerless, but only once, and that was on the ship. Yeah. (laughs) I just want to mention one little line that I enjoyed, which is when they're waiting for the Watcher. And Guinan says, if you aren't the real deal, she'll probably bite your eyelids off. And Picard's response is, that's nice. Yeah, that was. I just thought that was great. Like, he was funny. I thought that was a very funny response. That's nice. There was a line I liked when Guinan said something to him about retiring, and he says, afternoon naps and jigsaw puzzles are not quite my speed. Yep. And that's very meta because Patrick Stewart is obsessed with jigsaw puzzles. Right. So I also enjoyed the little exchange between Picard and Agnes. When he says, I'm counting you, I'm counting on you, Agnes, we all are. And she goes, Peachy, have you met me in a pinch? <laughs> and then he says, in fact, I have. So I liked everything about the pacing of that. <laughs> yeah. but that And that's the core message of the Borg Queen, which is she doesn't have confidence in herself. Because Picard does trust her, but she doesn't really trust herself. Right. So the 
Borg Queen is going to make her believe in herself. She's her hype man, her, her hype Borg. I don't think she's her hype Borg. <laughs> you, you think there's you think there's more to it than that? I think there's a little more to it than that. She's not she's like not... a life coach, a Borg life coach. She is not. <laughs> okay. Well, that's enough of that. Let's uh, move on to our bits of the week. All right. What do you got? I have a really fun one, which is our friend Robert Hewitt Wolf, who's writer on Deep Space Nine, as we all know, um, got drunk the other day and posted <laughs> on Twitter. I am drunk right now. So if you want to ask about DS9 characters doing the horizontal bop, now is your chance. We will link to the thread. People asked so many questions. He tried to answer all of them, I guess, until he stopped being drunk or had to go to bed. But people asked about Miles O'Brien and Kira when she was carrying his kid. They asked who has the weirdest kink. Dax, by the way. Um, <laughs> That's a, that kind of like obvious, right? I right. Mean... Well, he said seven <laughs> to eight lifetimes of kink. <laughs> He brought up a fun thing that he thinks happened between Bashir and Kira. He talked about Gene Roddenberry pointing out in the TNG Bible about how hung the Ferengi are. That's some serious TMI right there. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, Bashir and Garrick. Like, there's so much stuff in there that's just really fun. So I highly recommend checking out that whole thread. Tony, what's yours? Mine is uh, the Hollywood Reporter did a one of these deep dives into an episode. It's his 30th anniversary of Cause and Effect from Next Generation. Great episode. Premiered on my birthday. Very important. <laughs> and they talked to Brandon Braga, who wrote it, and uh, Jonathan Frakes, who acted and directed in it. It's just a you know a fascinating look at how difficult it was to get it going because it was a weirdly structured thing with the repeating loops like Brandon in it said, no one had ever done this before. And I'm like, what about groundhog day? And then it occurred to me, this came out two years before groundhog day. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So groundhog day has become the, you know, cause there's so many movies and TV shows that have done a groundhog day episode. Right. But, like groundhog day has become the shorthand for describing that looping. Yeah. And so they groundhog day before groundhog day, which was kind of yes. cool. And Frakes talked about how hard it was to direct that because you every time you go through a loop, you want to shoot it different. And so they had to do weird things like get cameras up into the ceiling, which no one had ever done before to shoot down. And uh, so he said it was a lot of fun for him to be able to do that kind of stuff. So it's just a good and they talk about, you know, what it was like to get Kelsey on the show. What's funny is they talk about Kelsey being a really big fan of Star Trek. I saw him you, and you saw him in Vegas last year. And what was it was nice seeing him, but he barely talked about cause and effect. He, I think he I said, know. I mean, the crazy part is he's in it for like a minute. <laughs> I know. A hot minute. But yes, he just likes to talk about other things. Yeah. <laughs> It just it would have been nice to hear a little more from him about shooting cousin you know, being you know yeah you know, because uh, one thing I mean I'm sure this is in a book somewhere but I didn't know it was originally the plan was to have the ship be a TOS era with the old uniforms the Kirk 1960s uniforms but it was like impractical so they just you know kind of threw something together to make it movie era stuff but that would have been great. Yeah, I agree. I mean, no complaints about the way it turned out, but I agree. So that's it for another episode of All Access Star Trek. This this week's an easy one. We only had one episode. <laughs> next week will be the same. All right, we'll see you next time. Bye.